Please take up your Bibles and turn with me to the book of Proverbs. We are picking up that middle section that we looked over last week in Proverbs chapter 30, verses 24, and we'll read all the way through the end of the chapter through 33. Um, Augur here is uh, giving us this pattern once again of, of four things that point us in a certain direction point us to see God's wisdom. And so we will see God's wisdom as he provides it to the weak and the weary and also to the strong and the royal today. So please follow along as I read from Proverbs chapter 30, beginning in verse 24. Four things on earth are small, yet they are extremely wise. Ants are creatures of little strength, yet they store up their food in the summer. Conies are creatures of little power, yet they make their home in the crags. Locusts have no king, yet they advance together in ranks. A lizard can be caught with the hand, yet it is found in king's palaces. There are three things that are stately in their stride, four that move with stately bearing. A lion mighty among beasts who retreats before nothing. A strutting rooster, a he-goat, and a king with his army around him. If you have played the fool and exalted yourself, or if you have planned evil, clap your hand over your mouth. For as churning the milk produces butter and twisting the nose produces blood, so stirring up anger produces strife. Let us pray. Our God and Father above, we do thank you that you have placed us in this place and that you have placed us where we are in our lives. Remind us as well that you give us wisdom in those places And show us your wisdom today through your word and through the illuminating work of the Holy Spirit. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So how's life right now? Maybe it's a time of uncertainty. Maybe it's a time where, I don't know, all your ducks are lined up in a row. Is there difficulty before you or is everything smooth sailing for a time? Someone has said that life is like a roller coaster. Sometimes you're headed up, sometimes you're headed down, but there's always that gut-emptying loop-de-loop around the next curve. Wherever we are in life, we have a tendency to wonder how we are going to be able to handle whatever it is that comes our way. And the biblical author in today's passage addresses two groups of people through the animal nature imagery that he uses. And the comfort that the author gives us is the truth that wherever you find yourself in life, God will provide the wisdom necessary to honor and glorify him in those places. So the author gives us two groups of things that have wisdom from their creator. And these two groups are linked with the word king. The locust has no king, according to verse 27. And according to verse 31, we we see the strength and the might of a king with his army around him. As we approach the end of our book, our study of the book of Proverbs, it's important for us to keep in mind that this is a book of collected sayings written from a king to his son so that he can rule well. That helps us to keep the context in mind and and it also helps us to keep the reality that there is a true, truly wise king who is pointed to in these scriptures. All of scripture points to Jesus and we must keep that in mind as we study One of the things that we can do to help ourselves as we read scripture passages in our own study is to ask ourselves a series of questions about how 
this passage or any passage points us to Jesus. Specifically in the book of Proverbs, we can ask how did Jesus show wisdom in his life? Or where the king, or we ask, how did Jesus show wisdom where the kings failed to show wisdom as we look at the accounts of the kings throughout the Old Testament? But we do also have examples of kings that acted wisely, and so we can ask ourselves, how did Jesus succeed perfectly where the kings acted wisely? But we need to keep this reality in mind that all of Scripture points us to the king who sits upon David's throne forever. The king who has paid the price, the penalty for our sin so that we might have salvation. And so as we look at these two groups or any passage in Scripture, it's important to remember how the how they point us to the true king. So we do have these true lists of four animals. And the first list is a is a list of four animals that are that are small, but extremely wise. Now, we've already met the ant in the book of Proverbs. Back in chapter 6 of the book of Proverbs, we compared the ant to the sluggard. And we saw that while the sluggard comes up with excuses to stay in bed or to be lazy, a, a practice that will ultimately lead him to poverty and to destitution, the ant is out in season gathering food for the winter. One of the truths that we see in this list uh, And since we've just dealt with the ant, I want to take a little side note here and say that one of the truths that we see in this this list of animals is that God reveals himself and his wisdom in the natural order. How many times throughout the book of Proverbs have we seen the author compare something in nature to the wisdom that God gives us? When we think of the 18th century American preacher, Jonathan Edwards, we typically think of him in terms of his sermons and and the, the beginning of the, of the great awakening. But we are oftentimes unfamiliar with the reality that Edwards loved nature. If you look at his journals, you can see that he spent time walking around the woods outside of his house. And as he did, he would write and draw about the things that he saw and about the glory of God that was manifest in the trees and the flowers and the animals. The natural order teaches us of God's order. We can see death and judgment. We can see beauty and power and glory in the natural order. In fact, Paul goes so far as to say in Romans 1 that we can deduce the reality that we are sinners without hope before God simply by looking at how he has revealed himself in nature. What lessons about life and wisdom and God do you miss by not being in and paying attention to nature. So we've seen the ant. The next animal that's, that Augur points us to is the, the coney, or as you see in your footnotes there, if you're in the NIV, it says the hyrax or the rock badger. This is a small animal about the size of, I don't know, a, a skinny groundhog that lives in the Middle East. They are weak animals, they are defenseless animals, and predators feed on them frequently, but God has created them with the wisdom, with the instinct to build their homes in the rocky crags and caves where the larger predators cannot reach them, where they can flourish, where they can grow. When life attacks, where do we turn? Do we stand and fight in our own strength, or do we run to the rock and refuge that is God? Third, we have the locusts. Locusts are typically given to us as scenes of judgment, but here the author points us to the locusts so that we can see wisdom. 
And the wisdom here is that even though that they, they have no king, they march in advance like an army with a general. They gather together to move forward in their work, in their pursuit for food. Commentator Matthew Henry says that the locusts should remind us that God's people should gather together and walk together in times of difficulty and in times of trouble. And finally, we see the lizard. And some of your translations may say spider. But the lizard that is in mind here is not the iguana or the alligator. It's the little teeny tiny lizard, almost like a salamander or a newt. We had these lizards in Florida. They probably weren't much bigger than you know, the length of my hand if they got to be that big. And they were skittish and they were fearful. And if you knew what you were doing, they were easily caught as well. You didn't grab them by the tail because they would quickly detach that and let you watch it wriggle in your hand as they skitter off. But if you were quick enough, you could catch one of these lizards and they were fragile. You had to be careful as well. And the point here is that as weak and as fragile as these lizards are, you know where you could find them in the ancient Near East? In the throne room of the king. They were in that place of safety that was one of the most secure places in the ancient Near East. It's, it'd almost be as if they had a, a, a bug problem in the Oval Office. These weak lizards, these skittish and fearful lizards would be found in the palace of the king. These small and weak but wise animals teach us a couple things. First, wisdom oftentimes can compensate for physical limitations. Now, I know that, that, that uh, bug scientists, I know there's a specific word for that, but I can't think of it right now. I know that bug scientists tell us that ants can lift up to seven times their body weight. But have you ever considered how little body weight an ant actually has? And yet, it knows when to harvest, it knows when to gather, it, it knows when to store, and it knows not to eat all of its food at once so that it has something to live on over the winter when it's cold and when the harvest is not there. These animals, even animals that are virtually defenseless, can find ways to thrive and to flourish in this world. They don't have much. None of the animals here have much by way of physical strength, but what they lack in strength, they make up for in wisdom and in instinct. And the second thing we learn from them is that God provides wisdom for the small and the weak. And this means that he will provide wisdom for you when you find yourselves to be small and weak. You know, when life attacks, when people attacks, you have a tendency to just wonder to, to kind of curl up, almost like an armadillo sometimes. To kind of curl up and, and, and just wonder, what am I going to do? How am I going to make it through this? I just don't know what's going to happen. Brothers and sisters, if God provides wisdom for these animals, how much more wisdom will he provide for us who are created in his image and who walk according to his will? So God provides wisdom for the weak and small. But on the other end of the spectrum, we see a list of royal and stately animals that are given God's wisdom as well. The lion, the king of beasts, who is so strong that, that it fears nothing, it retreats from nothing. God provides the wisdom for the lion in its strength. 
to thrive and to flourish. The strutting rooster, or as the the Greek translation of the Old Testament says, the Septuagint, it says the, the boldness of the rooster amongst its hens. As I've gotten to know people that, that raise chickens and realize that, that eggs come from someplace, not just the uh, grocery store, I've been astounded that you can take a rooster and put it in a group of hens and it will protect that group from predators, even farmers. <laughs> it is amazing what a rooster will do. We, we think of a rooster as as arrogant and proud and noisy at four o'clock in the morning. But an arrogant is uh, an arrogant. A rooster is given wisdom by God to protect the flock of hens that it has. The the he goat or the wild goat, the wild male goat is the same way where the the goat will protect the the gathering of female goats that it has around it as it as it moves throughout the wild. And then finally, we're given the king with his army around him. And the picture here is is the strong, the mighty, the kingly beast are given wisdom by God as well. And to the original recipient of this book of sayings, this would have been a comfort. Sometimes kings rule in power and in might. Sometimes kings rule in times of smallness and weakness. But regardless of the situation in which the king rules, God will give wisdom. God has placed each and every one of us. He has placed you where you find yourself today, and he has given you the wisdom to see your way through that. And this points us to God's sovereignty and providence. We've been looking the last few weeks in Sunday school at at the book of Numbers and the nation of Israel as they left Sinai and as they moved toward the promised land and then messed up and had to go back toward Sinai and back toward the promised land and just back and forth for 40 years. They were marked by grumbling and complaining against God and against Moses. God had placed them in those places, provided everything they needed, food, water, and wisdom to survive in the wilderness. And they grumbled against him. You and I, brothers and sisters, are tempted to grumble against God where he has placed us in our lives. But we must understand that in his providence, in his sovereignty, he has placed us exactly where you are. What weights do you carry? What makes you feel small and what makes you feel weak? What successes and victories do you celebrate today? God has given you the wisdom to handle them all. Now, there's two abuses to this idea of God's providence and God giving us wisdom that I want us to address today as well. And the first is the temptation that when we find ourselves in sin, to blame God's providence and sovereignty. Well, God put me here, so apparently my sin's his fault. James warns us in James 1, 12 through 15 that we cannot blame God for our sinful choices. We are bordering on blasphemy, stepping over the border into blasphemy when we do that. When we are tempted and when we sin and we are lured by our own lust, our own desires. And if we don't cling to the truth of God's forgiveness in Jesus and turn from the temptation, we will find ourselves sinning and that is on us. 
We cannot blame God. This blaming of God takes many different forms. It, it, takes, it takes the form of excusing sin, maybe because God wants us to do something there. I remember one time explaining to my parents that the reason I hung out with women at bars was because God wanted me to have the opportunity to share the gospel with them. Thank you for laughing. It is funny. Yes. It was a lie that smelled like smoke because it rose up from the pit of hell. Believing that our sin is justified because of God's providence has its root in the father of lies. The great dragon of Revelation, the serpent of Genesis 3. Satan comes to us and twists God's glorious truths about nature and so that we use them to justify breaking God's glorious law. The other danger we need to worry about is the danger of complacency or answering the question, what about ambition? We can look at God's providence and sovereignty in such a way that we look at our situation around us and we go, well, this is where God has placed me, so I guess I'm just going to sit here until God moves me somewhere else. I think the book of Proverbs calls that the sluggard. We are called at times to better ourselves if possible. In 1 Corinthians 7, 17 and following, Paul begins a discussion of living as you are called, called by God to live in such a place and in such a way according to his providence and sovereignty because he has placed you where we are and we are called to pursue God's glory in that calling. And while we are called to live where we are according to God's glory, Paul goes on to say, if you have the opportunity to better yourself according to God's glory, do that. Ambition sometimes takes a hit when we go overboard into complacency based upon God's providence and sovereignty. According to Merriam-Webster, ambition can be defined as an ardent desire for rank, for fame, or for power. It becomes a selfish ambition that we pursue for our own glory, for our own good, when we should be pursuing ambition in humility for God's glory and for God's good. If we're going to be ambitious, we must temper that ambition with a godly humility. If you want to pursue bettering yourself, whether it's through education or a change in job or just pursuing a hobby that helps you hone the skills of wisdom, you need to ask yourself, why are you pursuing that ambition? Are you pursuing it for God's glory or for your own? Are you pursuing it to benefit your neighbor or yourself? I listened to a podcast recently that, from a Christian perspective on whether or not we should invest as Christians in cryptocurrency. Bitcoin or Ethereum. If you don't know what cryptocurrency is and you've got about a month and a half, Google it. The podcast has said in, in seeking to answer the question, should Christians invest in cryptocurrencies? The answer was, well, it depends. Why do you invest in anything? Do you invest so that you can get all you can, can all you get and then sit on the lid? Or do you invest so that you can be a benefit to your neighbor for God's glory and for God's honor? The host of the podcast came to the conclusion that if it's the second reason, by all means, move forward. 
If it's the first reason so that you can better yourself and yourself alone, he called us to repentance for our selfishness. Paul himself was ambitious and told of his ambitions to the Roman church where he said he was on his way to Rome, the the pinnacle of the empire, the place where he likely could have had the most effect for the gospel there in Rome. And he said, my ambition is to just slingshot right on past Rome into Spain, into France, so that the gospel may be preached to people who have not heard it. Ambition is not bad, but is it guided by God's glory or your own? So the the author has shown us here that God gives wisdom to both the weak and the strong. And wherever you find yourself in life today, know that God will give you the wisdom to move through and to move toward his glory. But we must ask ourselves as we move forward, Are we guided by a desire to see God's glory grow or to see our own power grow? Allow your ambitions to be tempered by a humility that accurately assesses your heart and drives you to seek God's glory rather than your own in your ambitions. This is why Paul is able to say in Philippians 4 that whether he had a lot or he had a little, he could be content in Christ. Are you content as you pursue your life Are you resting in God's providence and sovereignty and in his wisdom? Let us pray. Our God and Father, we do thank you so much for all that you have given to us. We thank you that you have led each and every one of us to the place where you have put us. Lord, help me, help us to glorify you and to see your wisdom through your providence. I pray all this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. As we go this week seeking to live in the glory and grace of God's wisdom, take this blessing upon you. God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. To to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. And we proclaim with the saints, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Amen.